We believe you have a story to share. For 2,000 years, humankind has believed in the power of story. In healthcare, we're finding ways to better heal those who are in front of us. Join us as we explore healing stories now. Well, I want to welcome everyone to another edition of Healing Stories podcast. And uh, periodically in your life, you get to be with someone whom you admire and you care about and who has guided you through your life, and you get to have a conversation with them. And that's this moment. Uh, for all of our listeners and viewers, I'd like to introduce Charles DeSantis. And Charles, as we do every time on the show, we just ask the person one beginning question and let's see where it goes. And that is, Charles, can you tell us who you are? Well, Martin, that's a loaded question. Um, you know, I've known you for a very long time. We met in Kenya um, at the opening of a school. And I remember that day as if it was yesterday. And now, um, 10 years later, almost 11 years later, we're, we're on a podcast. We're sharing many parts of our family together. Our lives are very connected. And you know, we're, we're both on the, on the same groove and the same path. So it's great to be here, but a little bit about who I am. Um, you know, the last probably 15 years, and I think we're all, we're all on this journey, right. Is, has been really determining, um, how I articulate who I am, right. And figuring out what are the words or what are the, what is the ethos for which, um, animates the person I am every day. Right. And that's really, a really difficult thing to do because that requires you to be uber self-reflective. Um, you have to contemplate every aspect of who you are and you have, when in doing so you have to accept the things that are amazing about yourself and, and be able to call them that and be able, be able to also accept the fact that there's a lot of things that we're not amazing at as people or that we don't have the, a, a certain lens to that we're always trying to work towards. So for under that framing, I'll, I'll say that the, the, the thing I've come to most understand about myself are there really three guiding principles for my, what I call my morning rise, getting, hopping out of bed, right? Um, one is I get up for my family and my friends. Um, they, are, they are the reason you and I are on this phone call today. They're the reason I have four kids and a husband and you have three point two, um, almost four, and a wife. And, um, you know, the, and, and the, the friends in my family are, are my number one. My second priority is um, the community that I live and work. The community that I give myself to as a professional isn't different than how you give to your personal. It's just the place you go to do that outside of your family and your friends. And so I wake up for my family or my friends, the community I live and work. Um, and the third, the third piece of who I am is I give back to those in the greatest need. And sometimes those in the greatest need are your family and your friends, the community that I live and work, and sometimes they're not. So when I think about myself, I think of myself as somebody who... Um, is a humanitarian by nature. Um, I'm a caretaker. I want to resolve things. Um, I want to be joyous and fulfilled and share that 
with others in a way that people get joy and fulfillment because we're doing things in a way that's fruitful and bountiful and, you know, filled with a lot of excitement and gratitude, um, even in the hardest things, right? Like we're in the middle of COVID-19 pandemic. I have never experienced anything like this. We have four kids that are being educated at home, um, which I have zero ability to do that well. Um, and I have really um, gone from like a 99.9% of appreciation of teachers to 555.2%. Like they are underpaid, they're underserved, they should be the highest people in our economy. They should be the people that we all bow to every day because in fact, they create the lives, they create the humans that create the lives that we live in. And, and we certainly influence that because how we show up with our family, our friends, the communities that we live and work in, those in the greatest need is one way. But those that teach our children and our society are the ones that craft on the other side how we're going to be in the future. Because what you do today has a tremendous and um, incredible response for how we do it tomorrow. And um, so that's a little bit about how I am. I, I am 51. I have lived in Washington, D.C. Um, for 14 years. I start my 15th year at the end of May. Um, I am a Navy brat, um, the middle of three children. Um, Mexican and Italian background, not visible by my hand motions. Um, and I, I'm mission driven, like I, values and mission driven work, life, reflection and articulation is very important to me, which is, which is really ironic because I um, came to work at a mission driven environment that had an ethos that I believed in. Men and women for others, cure personalis for those that are in the Jesuit vernacular, something for which you're familiar. And, um, you know, caring for the whole person is a really big deal. And a couple years ago, I wrote my mom a letter at Christmas because at the age of 78, do you really need more stuff, right? Um, and um, I wrote her a letter and I said, you know, mom, I said, I've, you know, I've really taken a long time to get to a point of articulating who I am and why I show up every day a certain way. And I articulated, you know, what I've shared earlier, the three things. And I said, as I write this letter to you, I realize that I just turned around and paid attention to my family and my mom and dad. I was just grappling with getting the words to articulate how I was raised. And what a gift is that, right? To have a family, you know, brothers and sisters that you love on the middle that, that all have the same point of view and a mom and dad that crafted the, her, the humanitarian mindset that I have today to care for others. And, you know, I remember, I remember my mom saying when something disappeared out of my toy box or somebody, you know, somebody maybe wandered home with something that wasn't theirs, but was mine. And my mom used to say, well, they probably needed it more than you did. Mm. That's probably why they have it now. And, you know, as a five or six year old, you're like, that's bogus. What are you talking about? And you know what? We were fortunate and we had things that somebody else wanted. And, you know, that was a way that it got um, involuntarily shared. Right. Um, and, you know, my, my mom also believed that I was the most amazing person to her. And, 
Uh, and my whole family had such tremendous appreciation for each other. And I remember my mom used to say, you're the most handsome person I know and smart. And I remember feeling so great about that, even though I, I kind of was heavily dyslexic as a child and didn't always feel that way. It was profoundly grounded for me that I was. It just was going to look different than others. And uh, so. Isn't it fascinating? And as people listen, I asking who you are allows for you to have a very um, visual three-pronged approach in the morning. And then also to name uh, the mom, your mom, the beauty of your life as one who infuses those types of things too. And all along this Healing Stories podcast has been about how do people uh, become attentive and aware to what is shaping their life and how often we ask the question of who we are. And I believe you also guide many people in your role at Georgetown and your role at Numbani around being able to say, this is who I am. Is there a, a person, is there a method, is there a way that you've come to feel comfort in being able to do that? Because I can tell you, having gone through with you at times, transitions in life, that there is something you do that allows people to feel that they can go into that territory. How do you help others to do that? How do we do that for ourselves? Because we're in a period of time where we're going into a new territory, but we also are, are shaping ourselves of who we want to become. Well, well, that's it. That's interesting, Martin. I have to parse that out a bit because I think when I think about um, how I bring people into things, I bring people into things um, because I I hope that through my actions and my behaviors, I create tremendous trust and um, and the ability to provide tremendous support and feedback in a way that's not about Feedback can be delivered in different ways, right? Feedback can be going, no, you're absolutely doing that wrong. That doesn't work. No, blah, blah, blah. That, that's not really feedback. That's really like a form of an impression being put on a situation that would be handled differently than you'd handle it. That's not feedback, right, in my mind. Feedback is being able to say, hey, I see that situation you're dealing with. And as I understand it, it's X and Y. And you're over here in the Z lane, right? Like, let's get back over to X and Y and focus on this. And, you know, if the best effort that you have to put around this issue is that you have to do the most ungodly thing in this situation, which is to sit down and talk to somebody about it. Either you choose to do that or you choose to find another way to communicate with this individual or situation so you can work through it. But it's very important to work through things and create trust and engagement. I also think that um, I'm a pretty intuitive human. I, I'm able to pull people into scenarios just by, by my human nature. It's just, it's not even something I'm really aware of until I'm told about it like you just did, right? And um, and it's, it's you know, I, I, I used to have somebody many, many, many years ago, I worked at the Federal Reserve Bank. And I was, um, it was my major leadership role early in my career. And I remember I said to somebody, a, a vice president at the time, who I'm still good friends with, and I said to Susan, I said, you know, well, if I can do it, anybody can do it. And she said, let's stop for a moment. She said, not true. 
we all kind of, it's if if that was the case the world would be filled with a bunch of leaders and not a lot of doers she said you need an alchemy in the world you need that you know she out, she outlined to me you know there's some people that can and some people that can't and that's not a negative thing you and and, and i got from that the realization that you have this this alchemy of a creation of many people, right? And that you have many people that contribute to the flow of the world. So if you can do it and that's your skill set, fabulous. Honor it, own it, and move forward. Honor, own, and move forward, right? And if you have people that are with you in this in this journey that can't do those things, mm. focus on their strengths. Yes. Because if we all were doing the same things, nothing would get done. Right. So there are many, many different people that have many, many, many different skill sets and you want to honor them on that journey. So the person, you know, I remember this role. I was the I was the check processing supervisor for the Federal Reserve in the 12th District in San Francisco when we all wrote checks and when there were whole the economy moved flowed based on a movement of checks. Right. That business doesn't really exist anymore. Right. Um, and so I had people that really did the transactional day to day and I had to lead us through that. And I realized my goal was to help them be the best at what they were doing, not become who I wanted. I was thinking the way I was thinking, I didn't need them to evolve to me. I needed to meet them where they were at and support them being the best that they could be at where they were at. And that's kind of how I, I try to bring bring through the process of being able to support others. One of the things as you talk about that, it makes me realize too, that we all look for those who support us, but guess what? The world is filled with those who are not always supported and you don't get to live in an existence where you can't uh, figure out how to amalgamate all of them. Uh, and, and how you bring that, I think is a lot of what you understand as wellness and this is very important for us to draw out from your uh, wisdom and expertise is how are we going to handle wellness in this period of our lives? What would you say you've built an institute in this? You've taken years of yourself. You yourself have gotten well. Um, I've watched you over the year, you know, take command of your health. Now, what would you say to us in terms of this sense of how do we be well in a, in a period of time like this in, the, in our world and in our lives? Well, you know, it's interesting because my day-to-day -day professional life is the, um, I'm the, currently the interim vice president of HR at Georgetown, but I've been there for 14 years as the, the chief benefits officer and head of benefits payroll and, and GU Wellness, which I founded in 2007. Um, and, you know, wellness is interesting because on a reg in, in what I would call a non-pandemic arena or, you know, in a process of, of, of traditional life, wellness is a journey, right? And it's not, it's not, um, I think people really conflate wellness with things that are very different than how I view wellness. And I view wellness not as how many miles you run and what your cal caloric intake is, which some people totally uh, view as wellness. Um, I view wellness as all the things you're doing in your life that take care of you so you can be helpful for others. So, for example, yes, is health important? Should I be conscious of that? Yes, is it one of my daily struggles? Absolutely. Getting enough exercise, eating right, whatnot. Sometimes that's very natural for people. Sometimes it's not. Then you have something that most people don't think of wellness, 
which is, what are you doing financially? Are you in the process of looking at your financial life so you are well in that arena? And, and, and there's no measure of perfection there, right? Consciousness and awareness is the number one piece of like moving forward in that. Then you have your mindful side and your meditative side where you get to be, uh, be able to take self time and reflection to cure and care for self. Uh, cure and care is, is an important one to me. You cure yourself daily by caring for yourself through taking time that you need to be restorative. And that's hard for people. I mean, <laughs> we do something every night. You've actually partaken in it. You know, we have, we have four kids and, you know, six and a half years later, we still do this every night. But we do a meditation at dinner where we listen to a beautiful, beautiful um, classic classical song and we meditate for three and a half minutes and that started when our girls were 18 months the twins were 18 months and the boys were two and five and it was hard and it wasn't very meditative because I when you yell at people when they're meditating because they're not breathing kind of eradicates the whole concept and thank god I have a husband who's kind and generous and understands that this might be who I am professionally but sometimes you need help right he, he got them to thinking about smell the chicken cool off the rice and it got them there, right? So six and a half years later, it's at every meal we do, right? And it's great. It's the same song. I mean, it's um, so that our um, viewers know. What is the song? It, um, Salvation is okay. created. It's an amazing song. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll play a few uh-huh. of um, its lines at the end. But, um, you know, it, even in the, that three and a half minutes of a little bit of agitation when your kids aren't, you know, paying attention or whatnot, you've actually carved out some time that allows you to, to be curative and restorative for yourself. And, um, you know, I think meditation, Tai Chi, spiritual ownership of whatever that looks like for you that you that you believe in and you connect with, those routine aspects of daily life kind of create a platform for which you get to utilize as your place to go. Like, I know you do walking meditations and your own time in the mornings, right? You've always done that. That's been part of your, your development as a human. For me, I, I need alone time in the morning to start my day because as an extrovert, I don't awkwardly get my energy from other people. It's all from me. So in order for me to be prepared to be the extrovert that I am and the person that I am, I need to have my own self contained and connected and and because of that it's awkward i take on a lot in the world it's just who i am i can't help myself um and you know i i think that we were all given tremendous skills um and abilities to do things and not doing those things to me um, is not is in at least in my mind is not giving people the greatest gift of who you are um, because we all have those gifts and we all have points of views and we all have uh, um, things to share and say. One of the things that you're talking about that I think is very beautiful has to do with all the things that take care of you. Are people ever able to sit in their moment to think of what that is? Because in that taking care of you, then you can take care of others. 
And it seems in this moment in our world and in our consciousness and our souls that if we're not taking care of those things, we're not going to be able to move forward. And we're seeing this, right? We're seeing people's behaviors and we're seeing the way that they interact with us in different ways. And that to me is really something for us to take away from this moment with you too, is are we attentive to what takes care of us? Take what takes care of us. Right. Holy work. That's holy well, work. It's interesting because, you know, you, you see these, you know, if you're on Facebook in any relevant, you, I, I am very much, I love Facebook, but you hear a lot of people say, call me selfish if I'm taking care of myself. And you know what? You got to be selfish to care for others. You have to be good for you because if you're not good for you, you're not good for others at all. Not even a little bit. Right. And so, um, It's interesting because like, even in this time, I granted, you know, my, my husband is very much a homebody. I, I there right behind you right now in the garden. Yeah, I, I can't, I, I'm not a homebody, right? And so like the yard's beautiful, thank God, right? Um, I, would, I would pay somebody to have our yard be beautiful, right? So he's able to stay and do those things and whatnot. But every so often I just need to drive. I need to go to my office for half an hour or I need to, like this morning, I took in dry cleaning and got the car cleaned. Not really necessary in the in this time frame, right? Like a, you know, a little bit giving back to the economy, but for me it was more of getting out of the house and feeling some independence around this time so I can come back to the home and be with five other people as we go to the park or we go walk down the street or whatnot. So I'm the best I can be. And that's it's hard to do. I mean, I I I you know, being a modern family construct and having watched um, moms and dads, right? I, I used to hear my mom say stuff like, I'd rather buy for my children than buy for myself. And and I never really understood that. I'm, I'd be like, wow, you're missing out. There's some stuff out there, right? Um, you know, of course you should buy that for yourself, right? And now that I'm a parent, there's nothing I need. There's nothing I really need, but my kids need things or my kids would really love certain things and my, and, and giving to my, to my, my spouse or my friends and, and my children is such a great gift is the act of giving and the act of receipt, right? So there's a giving feeling, you know, that feels great because you know, somebody's going to appreciate something or want something. And then the reaction is equally as great. So, you know, the act of giving and a receipt is very interesting to me. Um, it's interesting too, because from a philanthropic perspective, sometimes you hear criticism as, oh, they just gave money because they wanted to feel good about themselves. Well, good for them. Yeah. Absolutely. Rock on, right? I mean, if that makes you feel good to do that and somebody's going to benefit from you doing that, that's a win-win, right? And so I think about that. I think about, um, you know, how you get to do things for yourself and, do, and, and in turn ends up doing things for others. Um, it's hard, though, because yeah. you have to stop. Right. There's I like and, and you and I know how what the struggle is. The struggle is real people. It's yeah. hard to stop. Right. It's, it's and, hard um, to stop. and one of the things that you're doing in this world is you're helping to vision what learning will look like in the future. And we've discussed what learning will be for our own wellness. But what will you uh, vision learning to be 
in our own future from uh, institutions, from just our own sense of consciousness. That I believe is the space you're really shaping right now. Um, and how could we come to know in the horizon, uh, what will learning look like uh, for us post COVID? Well, you know, I mean, I, I'm looking at that from a different lens, right? I, I have a few lenses I look at it as one is how am I gonna learn moving forward because it's different today. Mm -hmm. How are my children going to learn? Like, will they go back to uh, school in the fall, right? I, I pray that they go back to school in the fall. <laughs> but um, will, will they go back to the school in the fall? And then from my own professional world and being at Georgetown, what does that look like for the students that we engage and serve um, for the future? And how does that, how will that look? And, you know, I, I will say on all three of those fronts, heavy evolving, right? The, the only thing that I will say that I know to be true is that it's not going to be the way it was. I just, I just can't, too much has happened based on this pandemic and this time in the world that will allow us to ever go back to the, the way it was. And there was nothing wrong with the way it was but there's always opportunities to grow, right, and change. And I, and I think about, you know, like some, some corporations hire a certain person to be a disruptor, right? And that disruptor comes in, however they do it, they could be a little bull in the china closet or they could be a gracious integrator, right? However you choose to do that. Um, but you're, you're meant to come in and disrupt things to move things forward, I think the our universe, the world, had a natural disruptor. And that's how I view this pandemic, because I think that it's it's an aspect of evolution. Like we we are evolving through viruses, we're evolving through illnesses, we're evolving through technology, how our kids get educated, how we eat, you know, what vehicles we drive or won't drive in the future, all this stuff, right? This catapulted us and we're still we're in the middle of the catapult right like, you know I, I think of of the of something being catapulted into the air and it's just right here right it's in the very middle of, of the sky and we don't know the, where it's going to land but what i'll tell you is there's a lot of although there's a lot of hard right now i mean the, the unemployment rate in the u.s is overwhelming you know the impacts that are, are being had on families um and and societies and organizations and institutions is dramatic. But if the lens is kept that, how can we get to the other side of this in the most profound way? How can we do something that serves people in the best way possible in the future? I'm all in, I'm absolutely all in. And I'm actually a little enthusiastic about it for, you know, like I think about um, how quickly I had to support getting helping Georgetown get to telework continuity for the staff while the faculty put in their plans so we could still serve students and we could still have staff working and whatnot. And I realized we did it really quickly and we did it really successfully. And, 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 and organizations throughout the nation and the world have been able to do that. And what does that mean? It means that there's possibilities. The difference, uh, the difference in possibilities from where we're at today and where we will be in two, three, five, seven months, a year, two years is endless because 
we've realized some things that we thought needed to be one way will have to be another now, or could be another now. Could be. And could be. I, I wanted to bring that forward because the opportunity, and I've st- stood with you on a stage in Katui Village, and you said you are possible to a thousand orphans uh, with HIV, vulnerable children, beautiful children. And I can't help but think that our friend, Isabella Hearn, who I give a shout out to in Spain, has coached us and helped us to think about what words we choose. And as you and I end this time, isn't it important that we know what words we're choosing in terms of our head, in terms of our heart? Um, And are those words things that, as you said, take care of us? Or are those words that hurt us so that we're not able to serve? And if you could encourage us, I mean, you think of crisis or do you think of opportunity as the words? And what would you say to our viewers and our listeners as the words to carry with them that might help them in their own healing story, in their own way of taking care uh, so that we can really see this as a possibility, Charles? So we're all possible, right? Everything is possible. And I think that when the words that I would take away for others to think about and things that I think about every day is first gratitude and what we have and how grateful it is to have it and to share it and to be part of it. Um, Opportunity, reflection, a word that you can't find defined the way I use it, but the act of charism Right, charism really isn't a word. I think it's a Charles Webster DeSantis word, but um, you know people use it all the time. But charism and and reflection towards your future—that sounds awkward. Like that's that it also, I guess, falls into contemplation, right? But when you reflect on a possible future, you're contemplating what is possible with what has happened. And so I think it's important that we take time to look at where we're at today and imagine what it could be tomorrow. So I'm going I'm to use one closing example in this that I think about when I'm worried about the Georgetown population and, you know, me being in this eight by eight office that I have in my home, right? Um, the opportunity that might come out of this for people that might, you know, might not have, might be rewarded more more fortunately if they could telework as an example are those that might have to pay for childcare because their nine-year-old needs to be picked up after school or they pay six to eight hundred dollars a month to commute or they you know they're paying their dry cleaning and their you know, their lunch bill and you know car maintenance and all that that's this big boat of money right but if they were able to like be at home three, four days a week, be able to offset kind of the, the aftercare expense of getting their kid home so they can be with them and then also be on a four o'clock call if that was necessary. The, the, the you know, um, Ladato C that our Pope has put out, right, about caring for the, the world and, and it, it, it's in the earth and it's, it, it's, it's beauty, you know, not having people on the road and, and all these pieces. There's so much value in us thinking about how we look at what is possible in the future. That's huge. 
you know, like I, I know, I know some people that will be enjoying the Los Angeles skyline soon. And, um, yeah, you, you might know some people too. And, you know, the, the Los Angeles, well, I think they're Los Angeles. I, I don't know what people from Los Angeles call themselves, but those of, of, of Los Angeles descent, um, are seeing a skyline that they've never seen, right? The clarity of the world. It's so, it's almost like we were asked to be put on pause for a minute to cause us to reflect. We were asked to stop for a moment. And so I think that there's so much in the words we use, pause, reflect, possible, opportunity, cultivation, change. There's so many words and the words are very important. So it's, it's been great to be here with you. Well, Charles, I want to thank you. And over the years, if there is a word, um, it was dream to be with you. And I don't know if I was Sancho or if I was Don Quixote as we went through uh, the impossible dream. But I do know that anyone that's listening who wants to connect with you can find you, I would imagine, at Georgetown. Uh, yeah. You could give your email. Yeah, absolutely. What would it be? Um, my email is ced33 at georgetown.edu, ced33 at georgetown.edu. I'd love to hear from people. You know, I, I, um, I, I think if you Googled me, there's a bit of data, you know, from GU Wellness and Achieving Optimal Health Conference that happens annually and other things, but um, I'm easily accessible and, you know, um, would love, love to hear from people. Wonderful. So, thank you. Well, thanks, Charles, and we wish you the best and always know of our great prayers and, and love for you as you journey into whatever that is uh, that brings the imagination and the creativity of the world. So thank you. Great. Back at you. Thank you so much. Have a good day. Time heals all wounds. Join us for our next episode of Healing Stories. Healing Stories.